You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. As regular listeners know, the issue of sustainability is a vital part of 21st Century Radio. To that effect, housing is a major part of that issue worldwide. Joining us this hour is a man who recognizes that issue, and he's done something about it. His name is David South. David is the co-inventor of a product called Monolithic Domes. He's also the founder and president of their company, Monolithic, who I urge you to visit online at www.monolithic.com. Monolithic is dedicated to improving people's lives worldwide by introducing and constructing their domes for personal and public use. They are considered to be some of the most energy efficient and safest buildings for personal and public use. They are also disaster resistant, energy efficient, and cost effective. And with a wrap like that, you wonder why aren't they everywhere? So we're going to find out where they are, how successful they are, and what it is that David South envisioned when he began this road. David, welcome to 21st Century Radio. Thank you very much. I appreciate And 21st Century is one of my models. When we look at domes, most people think of domes because of Buckminster Fuller's work with the geodesic dome. Talk to us a little bit about your own entry into the world of dome making. How, how did you get interested in building in the first place and domes secondly? When I was still in high school, Buckminster Fuller was talking about geodesics and what they could do and what wonderful things they were, and he got me hooked on them. And I spent the next 15 years working on Buckminster Fuller's idea of building geodesic domes. But about 15 years into it, I realized that I wanted to build bigger, stronger, tougher, meaner, true domes. And so that's when I started my very first monolithic dome. And my very first one was 105 foot in diameter. It was spectacular. It was for a potato storage in Idaho. And then I pushed it, worked on it, learned huge amounts, and built the domes. They're a a really an improvement on geodesics. And don't get me wrong, I am not knocking geodesics. Well, you know, and I think it's important because most people who know geodesic domes, and they've seen kits that are available, and geodesic, in fact, means earth dividing. Um, Your monolithic dome is a very different methodology as well as a different kind of systems approach. Why monolithic? Why that name? Because they're one piece. Uh They're large one piece structures. When they're built, they're one piece. And that's one reason that they are so tough and so strong. And it also means that Earthquakes mean nothing to it because there are no moment connections. There's nothing attaching to something else to hold it together. They're just like an eggshell. You take an egg, stick it in your hand, and you can't break it. Yet an egg is very weak in comparison to a concrete shell. And so for people who are imagining in their head, as we know, the geodesic is made of all of these triangles put together, but yours is one shell. Talk to us a little bit about the air form that you use to build these enormous shells, the dome itself. I was not the first person to inflate the shell and put 
concrete on it, I was the first person to inflate an air form. That's what I call it. It's a big bubble. I inflate it, but I wanted to work from inside. So I inflate it, and then I do all my work inside. And it sounds kind of silly, but when you're inside, you have so much better control. If it rains that night, if it blows hard that day, and all that stuff, in a protected environment. And so the first thing you do is inflate this air form, and then you walk back and forth through an entryway, just a double door entry. You spray the inside surface of that fabric with three inches of polyurethane. Now, polyurethane is the world's best insulation, and it's quite solid on tiny you know, 20-foot domes, that's all you need. But then we try reinforcing bars of steel to the underside of the polyurethane, and then we spray concrete, embedding all of those bars, and it becomes the structural shell for the building. The urethane is on the outside, and then the airform, which we inflated, is the roof membrane that protects the, the polyurethane from sunshine. So it's extremely, well, it's simple, and yet it's very, very useful because you don't have to do anything else. You open their doors, you know, after it's structurally strong, you cut open the openings and the windows and the doors, and you have yourself a building. I mean, I have to say it's remarkable from my vantage point. Bill Huff of Save a Patriot Fellowship, who helped teach me about the Constitution 20 years ago, has been telling me, David, about your company and about monolithic domes. And I looked at them a while ago, and I'm just so glad he told me about your work, because the thing that you've been able to do and the way you've even described it, I think, and people, again, you can go to their website, monolithic dot com and see how varied these are from small cabins that are 10 to 12 feet wide to enormous schools and regular i saw that you have a number of fertilizer plants and others talk to us about the kind of scale because i don't do as good a job as you can about how you see that this can be applied in so many different situations well there's a there's a few things part of it was luck at the time I started building, I did not realize some of the ramifications. Putting the insulation on the outside of the concrete makes it approximately five times more energy efficient. When I build a school building, I cut their power bill by 75%. Wow. And I've, I've got more than 50 schools around the area. When I say the area, they could run from over in Washington State uh, across quite a few in Texas, uh, on up into Missouri and Kansas and Mississippi. And, but the school buildings, we started first because we could build a spectacular good school building for less money than they could with conventional construction. And then as the time has gone by and the proof has come through, We've had FEMA adopt the buildings, and we build a lot of tornado shelters slash school buildings, and FEMA's been paying 75% of the cost of that. So quite a few of these schools, that's just like finding money because they get a 
brand-new gymnasium for 25% of the conventional cost. Mm-hmm. And But the proof, you know, when you get FEMA saying, okay, we go, we go, uh, you've got proof that they got the structural strength to have the tornadoes hit them. And we've had quite a few hit by tornadoes. We had one over in Birmingham, a $52 million church facility, seven big domes. Uh, the smallest one has two NBA basketball courts in it. And it was a force five tornado went through there. And it, out of that $52 million facility, it did $250,000 worth of cosmetic damage. It broke some of the ceramic tile we'd put on the outside of it. Mm-hmm. But what it is, it's your your thing, 21st century. I have a cartoon that I had a man draw for me many years ago, and it shows a general with his sword about ready to go take on an army coming from the other direction, and they both have their, their swords and their spears and Right alongside him is a guy with a machine gun. And the guy with the sword says, I haven't got time to talk to any pesky salesman. i got a battle to fight. <laughs> well, he's got a battle to fight, but he's using a century earlier tools. And, and that's, that's the thing. I could, if I could preach and teach, we use about a fourth as much material to build our domes as you would to build a conventional building. We use a fourth as much energy to cool the building after it's built. That means that most of our buildings will pay for themselves in 15 to 20 years in just energy savings over conventional buildings. They've got a 500-year lifetime. They're going to get... Wow. We've had some told, torn down, but they were torn down because we're in a spot that somebody said, well, that ground's worth more than the building, so mm-hmm. let's tear it down. But the structures are there, and for who knows? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting if, about the, the, the shape of a dome itself, because I was reading about how domes develop when magma from deep within the earth pushes up surface rock layers. And so these are like geologic domes. And then they form, you know, as magma sort of moves between these two layers of sedimentary rock. So I thought that was interesting because the magma makes a dome. And then I also noticed that there's a 60-atom formation of the element carbon. When And when it was discovered, it resembled the shape of a geodesic dome or of a dome. So when you look at just the nature behind dome structure, you can see that it's inherent with the earth as being something that is very stable and, and lives, as you point out, for a long time. I mean, of course, there's buildings like the Taj Mahal and the U.S. Capitol. But why the dome? I mean, besides besides the what you've told us of the efficiency of materials and its life and its cooling, talk to us a little bit about the dome per se, because we have a dome. You may not know this, but we have a dome at the top of our house because I wanted to build an earth house with just a dome over the, over the sort of ground level. And to talk to us about the dome itself and what it does to consciousness, if you would, or what it does to the people that live and work in domes. I can't give you scientifically what there is about a dome, but I can tell you that it has a feeling inside. And I have lots of people that have come back to me and said, we have a feeling, a feeling, 
of safety, of security, of just being a nice serenity. Serenity is the best word in the domes. Now, again, I've had other people tell me that, oh, yeah, it's because of this and that. But I do know this. It has its serenity. And then second, you can do all the things they're talking about. I've got domes buried 35 feet in the ground. I've got... uh, And then look at the other side. If you had your city built of monolithic domes, you wouldn't need a standard fire department. Oh, you'd have to have somebody with a, that could go out and pick up people when they got hurt and to put out a fire where they set their bed on fire. But you would never have such a thing as a 200 buildings or 100 buildings or, or who knows, maybe a Chicago fire. Meaning these domes aren't flammable? They're totally inflammable. They're, if you go to the, my website, you'll and you go to the videos, there's a lot of videos, There's, but there's one that shows a big fire in California it burned right up over the top of the dome, and uh, it smoked it up, but it was a huge fire, and you know how some of those California fires are. They cannot be burned. If you burn the inside of a, if you could pile up the floor and the bleachers and everything else in a gym and set fire to it, you would have to clean up and fix that part of it, but you couldn't burn it enough to hurt the dome. Well, you know, it's talking about clusters. I loved on your website. We're going to take our first break, and then we'll come back. But I love the cluster of domes you all have built in Geronimo. I had to say that because Hieronymus, our last name, is related to Geronimo. Geronimo, Oklahoma. Anyway, David, I think I think that you're right on to the futures now, and you're already doing it. And I think there are a lot of people who feel that way about domes. And until perhaps you all discovered this particular method, it wasn't affordable, and the scale was impossible made out of wood due to weight. So I, it's, it's just extraordinary. So when we come back, I want to share with the audience some of the other applications and places where monolithic has installed domes, helped others build domes, and we'll tell our audience about how they can even come and learn from you how to do it on their own. We'll be right back. I'm Zoe Hieronymus. Our guest, David South, is the founder, uh, rather the CEO of Monolithic Domes and co-inventor of their particular type of dome technology. Our guest right now is David South. David is one of the um, co-inventors of Monolithic Domes. I encourage you while we're talking to take a look at their website and follow up again tomorrow at www.monolithic.com. That's mono and then L-I-T-H-I-C.com. You know, more and more, David, when I think about just even listening to Susan Blaustein talk about the programs they have for the Millennial Cities, I'm thinking, well, boy, they could be building these domes which could, you know, help all of these communities that are in such dire poverty. Well, why build a house that you know cannot last longer than your grandkids? Mm-hmm. And have a house that will last for 10 generations. You don't have to rebuild them. The buildings on my website, there's 21st century structures, 21st century buildings. It's a, it's a video it's fun to look at it. You look at the 1910 Ford, you look at the 2010 Ford, 100 years later, you look at the number of cars, number of things. We cannot afford to just every century or half a century rebuild all those structures. And uh, 
And then one of your ads that just came on was how to help build housing in the third world, the developing countries. And one of the things that's very, I'm very passionate about is to do that. So far, we've built in 53 countries, and uh, several of them are in Africa and Asia and South America. Now, I haven't built thousands. If you go to Indonesia, I built a city down there for a hundred families. Spectacular! There, it's now become a destination for people to come and visit it because mm-hmm. it's there. And we've developed. I de- I gave you the monolithic dome. We've developed one we call an eco shell, and we can inflate that air form. And then we use a new kind of reinforcing called basalt. Basalt is twice as strong as steel and weighs a fifth as much. What's it made of? And it's made out of lava rock. Wow. It was invented in Moscow, Russia, 40 years ago. It's, it's just barely becoming used, but it never rusts. Mm. Because it never rusts, it never explodes the concrete that it's in. Right. And with it, I can build a house on the beach in Central America using salty sand and salt water and the basalt reinforcing and do it by hand using people just going in there and doing it by hand. When they get done, they've got a house. And again, if you go to the website, you look at, Oh, like India, you'll see quite a number of these, I call them eco-shells, for economic shells. But the eco-shells are absolutely what are needed around the world. And you mentioned teach. I teach people how to build the domes. I don't try and build all the domes. As soon as I can get somebody up to where he's got the ability to do them, I send him leads, uh, send school leads. I only build one out of every four or five schools anymore. And the houses, about the same thing. I build uh, probably 10 houses in a year and sell 100. Wow. Uh, and and yeah, what, I, is there a part of the world, David, that's been more responsive to this notion than the American community? Well, America's got the biggest response because I build the really nice fancy schools and churches and stuff like that mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. But I've got several projects negotiating right now in places like Nigeria, Cameroon, uh, Sudan, uh, Kenya. Well, you know, it's interesting places- when I listen to you talk about all the different applications and environments that makes it so cost effective and then so secure when done. I've written a book about the future, and I interviewed all of these psychics and military prognosticators, et cetera. And one of the things they all saw about the future were domed cities, meaning at some point, maybe the 22nd century, the air will be so bad, there could be something nuclear that has happened, and that the only way for cities to be livable are under these grand domes. And listening to you talk, I'm thinking, geez, it's probably your technology that could be used. It is exactly that. I have people all over contacting me daily. 
what can we do to be secure? Mm-hmm. And we got several levels of security. Just a standard dome is a thousand times more secure than any conventional building. Then we can go EMP. We can put copper pieces in it, little copper shavings, and we can make them virtually EMP proof, or we can bury them, or we can, or, or, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's your technology that's made it so facile, so so sort of um, you can adapt to any environment that somebody wants to apply it to. It's a remarkable idea. I mean, the whole concept is remarkable. Well, the air forming is what the key is. Because mm-hmm. whenever you take and build a building out of concrete, you have to form it. Yeah. So you have all this wood and, and steel and whatever to form it. Then you pour the concrete. And curved concrete is four times as strong as flat concrete. So you use the curved concrete, you use a fourth as much material. Uh, I can use three inches of concrete and bury it 30 foot in the ground. And uh, you can't do that with flat concrete. What's been the response? I'm, I'm sure that you've talked to, obviously, you've built schools, you've worked with municipalities. Is there any um, interest by the federal government in these smaller units for emergency housing or for Peace Corps or some of these groups that go set up, NATO, whatever? The, the federal government's been really tough for me to get into the people that make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get local governments coming along. I've got some people right now talking about veterans' housings for returning veterans, and they're going to go build a bunch of them. I've got ultra-low-cost housing on my website for mm-hmm or rental units for people to live in. Um, The federal government, I haven't been able to crack that code yet. Um, It's part I don't think it's because they don't want to, but the way the system is with federal purchasing is they change people so often Mm -hmm. that you can... For instance, last year I had a man walk in my big caterpillar over here. My caterpillar is where I manufacture the air farms. And this guy walked in with me, and it was about 105 degrees outside here in Texas. He says, holy cow, this is cool in here. He said, what kind of air conditioner you got? And I pointed up the ceiling. I said, there's a five-ton air conditioner on a 14,000-square-foot building. He said, that isn't possible. I said, well, there it is. And he said, can I take a picture? I said, sure. And he took the picture, and then he said, well, now what do you use for a heating system? And I said, we leave the lights on at night in the winter. It's extraordinary. And, huh? I said, it's extraordinary. You know, when you listen, it, you, you remind me of just about everybody else we've interviewed in their own fields, whether they're geologists or physicians, and when they're all sort of making these breakthroughs, how long it takes to wear the status quo down in the decision-making, uh, you know, aisles of our lives. It's tragic. I built my first one 37 years ago, and now I'm up to where I don't have to argue with people. For instance, I don't have to say there's a 75% energy reduction because they can pick up the phone and call 20 of my past customers and say, oh, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. Uh, or I can walk them into the buildings like my Caterpillar. And, and, I was a major with the Kansas National Guard, by the way. 
Well, so, you know, and it's interesting because truly the the approach at the state level, I asked the federal just out of curiosity because there's so much with FEMA, with emergency management agency, needing housing. They set up these tents. The winds come. The tents blow down. I mean, it just always looks so absurd to me when you realize structures like domes are impermeable to these kinds of weather problems. That's why all those dome tents that people set up in the Everest, you know, when they're climbing, really work because a dome is, is such a... Um, strong shape versus you remember the old tents which used to come up like a ridge like a roof and those would go down but the dome tents that we see used all over the world by campers are exactly what you're doing on a much larger scale and i have to tell you david one of the things that's so beautiful about your website is that it really is like a small university of monolithic technology and i love that you promote other products that are life enhancing like an electric toilet the water vortex tubulator, that's fantastic. We've talked about vortexing water to make it better for the pH level of a human. How do you go about when you research these other products, just out of curiosity, how do you know you found one that's the right one to promote? I call. I tell people that I attract uh, weird people like me, and they'll come to me and say, well, here, look at this, look at this, and they don't know how to promote it. Uh, mm-hmm. My water filters, for instance, that Baptist men came to, you help us promote these water filters. And I said, I'm in the dome business. Yeah. Yes, but you're known around the world. Said, yeah, but I'm in the dome business. Mm-hmm. Finally, okay. Well, it's very useful. I mean, you have this beautiful hybrid solar charger. It's just a beautiful collaboration is what I'm trying to say, and not... All people, even very forward people, forward-thinking people, aren't always as inclusive. And so I just want to honor your spirit in that because it's a, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing beyond just your monolithic domes, but bringing all of these other things that we need in our houses and in our living environments for a sustainable future. Well, I thank you for the compliment. Um, I'm, I'm getting old. I still plan on another 10 years. Amen to that. May it be 20 in good health. And if it's good health, it'll be 20. <laughs> my goal, I tell people my goal is to make the world go around. Mm-hmm. My goal actually is to help people. That's Nigerian, I had a delegation from them here a few days ago, and they handed a newspaper to me, and they said, look at this. They said, in Nigeria is short, 17 million housing units. Mm. He said, we haven't got a clue how to get them. And uh, United Nations, Noel Brown with United Nations said, we figure the world is short, 50 million housing units. He said, we've investigated every low-cost, fast house available, and yours is the only one that fits the criteria. And right now, I'm getting ready to send the beginning stuff to... Um, Syria is moving into... um, So you're talking about where this housing units are going to go? Yeah, they're talking, they're they're buying the beginnings to start looking at building 20,000 immediately over there. Fantastic. And so for the people coming over the border, uh, because tents are just not the answer. Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's not. And and that's why, you know, and, and I've seen it's interesting because there's 
they're not your competitors, but there are other people who have also been making domes. And when I looked into them, they were very small. They were less than 10 feet, and they were very expensive. Talk to us a little bit about the costs of, like, for instance, you have grow domes that some people are using, and then there's plants in commercial settings. But what about a small, these emergency shelter size? Are these the 10-foot domes? Well, I'm thinking of a 20-foot dome. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can be completed as a house with toilets and everything for about $2,300 each. And there's nothing that I can find that will do that. No. The shell itself is, you know, if we build it in Africa, we can build the shell itself for less than $1,000. And uh, the the hundred that I built in Indonesia, they really wanted them first class and... uh, we spent eighty three eight hundred thousand for a hundred buildings. That's eight hundred. That's about eight thousand dollars each. Mm-hmm. But sixty five percent of that money was spent on water systems, sewer systems, electric system, roads, uh, getting everything else in place. Only the smaller, about thirty seven percent of the whole thing, was the actual structures, including the bathrooms and. The, the lights and everything else. So there, it's technology that can be as inexpensive as a cotton pick and metal clad or a thatched building that's all shot in just a few years, and yeah. these will be there. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm thinking about well, have the architecture schools sent you students? I mean, are there people studying this and then teaching it, or is this really only monolithic domes and it hasn't spread beyond your company it's it's probably the big problem is just what you said how do you get people into it Mm -hmm. i I used a few architects for a long time now this last year texas fema approved 24 projects all of a sudden i get architects coming out of the woodwork saying hey let us design it they don't teach it to them in the schools they have to come to me. And I said, sure, I'll teach you how to do it. Mm-hmm. But now I'm getting more architects. HVAC engineers, they go crazy because that throws the old rule book out. Yeah. I just tell them, just, just divide what you're used to doing by four for how much air conditioning you're going to need. Well, that creates some problem. You don't have enough air blowing around. They have to go with different sort of... That's one reason why I'm teaching. Now, the you saw that I'm teaching these classes. Uh, April and May, September and October, I'm trying to figure out how I can produce some classes to teach architects and engineers. I haven't figured out how to get in, into where they can listen. Mm-hmm. The, well. the thing of it is, is we're so much less money for so much better building that somebody has eventually got to figure it out, and that's why I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Well, thank you. I think there's a whole team of us planet-wide who are all trying to hang on to this beautiful biosphere and humanity's opportunity to evolve, and certainly what you're doing is a big piece of it. I mean, we can't just have ideas. We have to manifest how to build things that are good for the earth and good for humans and everybody. It's a win-win. So you're a win-win guy, David, that's for sure. Well, look, we're going to take our last break of the evening, and then we'll come back. 
I'm Zoe Hieronymus. Our guest is David South. I encourage you all to visit his website. You will be astounded. Go to way and spread the word. Get others to know about monolithic.com. So with this way of having these air forms, you can build the air forms for any size scale. Is that true? That's true. We'll, we'll build them up to 1,000 foot in diameter wow. right now. There's, in the future, we'll go bigger, but right now, the biggest I have built to date is 300 foot in diameter, 189 feet tall. Mm. The grow domes that we're looking at right now with a company called Agrosphere will be 300 foot diameter, 150 foot tall, and they will grow thousands of tons of, of food in them. I think that's probably going to be the number one use of the domes over the rest of this century is to grow food. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're still dancing. Uh, nobody has really come up with the, the whole system using the artificial light and stuff. But a grow dome, you can build it anywhere on the planet, Alaska to the equator. And I really visualize that. We've got too many more people coming, mm-hmm. and we don't have more land, and we don't have more water. In fact, we got less. Every time we have somebody more on the planet, we have less land because we have to keep sharing it, and we have less water for that same reason. And the grow domes are they're forecasting 4% as much water usage, and uh, I've already seen the results of some of their experimenting. They, they plant seed of lettuce, they give it seven and a half hours of light, turn it off for 30 minutes, do that three times in a 24-hour period. The lettuce has three days growing on it, and on the 18th day, it's ready for market to eat. That's amazing. And they're doing tomatoes on 35 days, they're delivering them to, to market. Being an um, organic gardener myself, I know that's in speedo time. <laughs> you know, it takes us yeah. all summer to get our tomatoes to harvest. <laughs> well, and the thing of it is, is you spend a lot of time. And so if you plant a tomato in Texas, you can figure about one pound, one and a half pounds of tomatoes per square foot. And then these grow domes are going to get 350 pounds per square foot. Mm. Amazing. Over a year, you know. So Well, and the nice thing is the environments are controlled so that regardless of what's going on outside, food keeps growing. And and I agree with you, by the way, in your comment that it would be the probably the first place we'll start. I you know, it's so interesting when I listen to you talk, it brings back so many thoughts and memories. Thirty some years ago I tried to get growing of food at prisons. And I tried to get Baltimore City Municipality to take one of our fields, do a dome, and turn it into a greenhouse. So I was thinking, you know, it's interesting when you have a dome kind of affiliation, which I've always had. And I think Buckminster Fuller is really the one that seeded so many of us with this love and passion for domes. But you've taken it to a level of application that is just so so helpful to the whole planet. Oh, I like Bucky. He... uh... He didn't have all the answers, He did, but he started this down the trail. Number one, a dome covers more area with less surface area than any other structure. Mm-hmm. And you can build a bigger structure with a fraction as much material. 
all of these things were things that he proved. He just didn't quite go the extra step to do a pure dome. Um, and if he had it, he wouldn't have had a way of building it. When but you ha- can you talk to us? Come up with the air forming. Yeah, can you talk to us a little bit, David, if you don't mind, about your own vision of how you understood to do this single sheet, this air inflating single sheet form? How did that happen? I mean, what did you have a vision? What? How? How, how did that come about? <laughs> I'll try and be fast. <laughs> I spent, as I say, fifteen years with geodesics. And I just got sick because I wanted to be building big ones, good ones, nice ones. And the only way you could do it was out of wood or you could go to aluminum. Aluminum was just fantastically expensive. And with the million joints, they all leak. Right. So in the meantime, I started trying to figure out how I could build the domes out of polyurethane. And then I found out I could spray it for insulation. And so I moved back to Idaho. My mother was raising a family without a dad in the house. I moved back there to help that that from Chicago. And uh, I started spraying polyurethane as an insulation in potato storages. Idaho has thousands of potato storages and the the urethane is a waterproof, super insulation. And I got into doing that. Next thing you know, I'm spraying more foam than anybody else around. And I'm spraying a metal building on the inside with the foam. And I say to myself, well, why don't I just put up an air form? And then next thing you know, I did a little more research, a lot more thinking. Yeah. And if I sprayed it on the inside with reinforced concrete, I would have a structure. And so I'm bragging about it and talking about it. And one day my supplier for urethane says, quit bragging about it and go build it. I said, okay. He said, how much foam is it going to take to build your dome? And I said, 12,000 pounds. <laughs> and at that time, that was about $12,000. Wow. He called his secretary in and he said, write a credit memo to this guy for $12,000 worth of polyurethane. So now you got somebody that's saying put up or shut up. Mm-hmm. And so I got busy and then I built the first potato storage as a dome in Idaho in a little town called Shelley. And, uh, what year was that? Around what time? 1975. Wow. And, uh, <clears throat> somebody else heard about it and I went and he wanted me to come to Manchester. Michigan. And so I went there and did it. When I got through with those two, I came back and I, I, I had, I was a, had a big foam company. I was spraying half the foam west of the Mississippi. Wow. When I got back, I shut down the foam company and went straight to domes. Mm-hmm. I'm, financially, I've never done as well as when I was doing the foam. But my passion you know how you get that passion. Sure. God gives it to you. You've got a passion to do something. My passion was to make the world go round, and I've never backed off of it. We've had good times and bad times, but now, if I died in the morning, it'd still grow because there's, you know, I've had 2,500 people through my classes. 450 of them have built domes. They're more building them all the time. They're going to go. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's, like I really think, like yourself, you know, underground housing is going to be essential, and a dome cap over an underground house is the the most perfect surface. And certainly, well, as we under, have, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Well, above ground domes are as safe as underground if you have the don't have perfect land for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I keep thinking about I used to get gophers out of the ground by pouring water down their holes. Right. And so I'm really cautious about underground if we don't put it under earth. In other words, into an edge of a hill or just cover it up over the top. Mm-hmm. Not much interested in sticking it down where water. Right. We don't know whether we're going to get flooding. Mm-hmm. All we know is the weather's going to change. Right. And so, so we... Yeah, and and I in when in looking at your website, you know, I saw that some of the applications are homes. I mentioned earlier some of them are storage storage facilities. I mean, everybody has seen salt domes that are in the various states, but those are made of of lumber and then regular, you know, roofing materials and yours again are are so different and and I assume when you build them, I notice that there's some that you can actually move, that they can be put on a tractor trailer and taken somewhere. I build the cabins. I started building cabins, and uh, I can load them and ship them. And that one day is going to be a huge business. Right now, it's just barely getting started. But uh, you can put one in your yard. My, I'm planning on building grow cabins. I haven't got it worked out perfect yet, but a grow cabin, I figure you could raise enough food for five families. Wow. And and so the cabins right now, what are their size and what do they cost? I mean, there might be somebody in our audience who's retiring and they have a little piece of land and they want to put something small down. Well, they're, they're 12 foot wide and they're 17, 19, and 24 foot in length. And uh, they're expensive cabins because I've got them full bore for everything. They average about $35,000, but that's with table, chairs, refrigerator, stove. Uh, ready to go. Ready to go. A house on wheels, and, ready to go. Yeah. You're not going to pull up with a car. <laughs> you're going to have to set it off with a crane. You mean I can't just put it in my little trailer and take it around? Well, it's it's well, a, rem- a remarkable thing you've done with your life and brought into manifestation for the world. And while you've been talking, I've been thinking of all these different people I know who I want to send your way to help. I'm sitting here going, yes, HGTV should come and do a special segment on your domes. There's no question. They have a program called Extreme Homes. And yours aren't extreme. They're extremely intelligent. And I'm thinking, boy, if they could come to a special series, that's several million viewers would get a sense of what's going on. Well, if you HGTV is run things on probably 10 of my homes so far. Oh, really? Uh, so it's an old I idea. Have one on, <laughs> I have one on the beach at uh, Pensacola Beach in Florida that CNBC ran a piece on it. It was hit by Hurricane Ivan, which destroyed the entire housing on the island. I mean, it just literally destroyed the thing. The, the domes was the only thing that was left unheard. It's amazing. Uh, so, anyway, keep helping me. You're helping me. I mean that because the people that listen to you will listen to you. And 
and I will try and help you too. Uh, she's offered to send me the the narration and the CV, a DVD on it. And oh, for I will, sure. And I will write it up and put it on my website. Which, well, thank you. Um, it isn't the biggest in the world, but it gets sixty, seventy thousand hits a month. That's from- a lot. You know the th- the thing, David, about what you're doing and what we try to do, and on and the kinds of people each of us know is that there really are so many good human beings with so many wonderful ideas, and it's really a question of the old guard getting out of the way. And the way to do that is when enough of us just keep doing what's right, and that we do it in our own lives, and we help other people do it in their lives. And that's certainly what we do as broadcasters, and what you do as a remarkable builder of these beautiful monolithic domes. And I want to thank you for being with us and encourage our audience again to go to www.monolithic.com. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Kortner, and I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. And remember, we do need more love in the world.